Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is late in the evening on March 22nd, 2015, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. is over and Duke is still alive. Uh, I am your host this week, Sam Klein. I am joined by my usual cohort. We've got Jason Evans. Hey, by the way, did you see the really funny commercial with Charles Barkley, Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson where they're checking in a hotel? Oh, my God, I totally missed that commercial. What happened? Oh, oh, okay. So really funny commercial. They're checking into a hotel, and they're joking about the fact that Samuel L. Jackson uses his real name to check into the hotel. And Charles Barkley says, oh, no, no, I check in under a fake name. I check in under the name of Barles Charkley. So I think you should introduce me as Ethan Jevons. Uh, so this week we've got Ethan Jevons. Um, hello? That was not funny. I don't know why I, I had us do that, but I saw that damn commercial so much this weekend during the games. It's a really funny commercial. I don't know why I did that. You, that you was, can introduce the, uh, Mars Blackman. The, uh, the, the commercial that I saw the most was the uh, bracket curls. Um, I feel like that was uh, with, with Clyde Drexler. Yeah. With Clyde Drexler. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I will say this. The, the commercial with Christian Leitner resting on his laurels is friggin' awesome. <laughs> That's a lot of laurels. Um, and uh, now that we've gotten, we've gotten Jason's extended commercial intro, we're also joined by Donald Wine. Or, excuse me, Ronald Dine. Uh, I actually go by Mars Blackman. <laughs> All right. Um, now, that we are, now that we are off to a sufficiently uh, silly Sunday evening version of this podcast, um, let's dive right into uh, what we saw this weekend. We'll start with Duke. Um, we had two games this weekend, our first I suppose it's still called the second round game. Uh, it was a victory over Robert Morris. It was 85 to uh, 56. And then in the second round game, or the third round, I suppose, that happened this afternoon, uh, Duke took out a talented San Diego State squad, 68 to 49. Uh, Donald, I'll start with you. Give me your impressions from uh, this opening weekend from the Duke Blue Devils. It was. Minus maybe five minutes in both games where we uh, let them go into like a 10-0 run, uh, both Robert Morris and San Diego State, I thought we played awesome this weekend. Uh, we, we put our pedal to the metal uh, and, and really didn't let up the most, for most of the game. We closed them out. They were uh, victories that were 
wide in margin and also uh, easy on the on the soul as far as there was not a lot to worry about with these games. Um, I thought everybody, you know, contributed a lot in the first game uh, against Robert Morris. We saw Marshall Plumlee uh, solidify his, his place in the uh, lottery for the NBA draft once again with a double-double. Um, and then this time, uh, today against San Diego State, it was the Justice and Joshua, and, and both of them had fantastic uh, games. Justice on – he – was it was probably one of the great games that he has had so far this year. Um, a little fun stat: there's this hidden stat that a lot of people don't know about called the zero zero. Um, and if you have a zero zero game, that means that on the stat line you have a number that is not zero in every single category. And Justice today had 13 points, 12 boards, five assists, four steals, and three blocks for his sixth zero zero game of the season. And that is three times the second-place person on our team, Tyus Jones. So that means that he's contributing in every single category, contributing in every area, in every facet of the game. He was all over the place today, and I think he was the catalyst for us getting back to his hometown. We're going to Houston, guys. Yeah, I think I think that Winslow certainly was the, the key to the victory today. Uh, Jason, what did you have to add from this weekend? Uh, well, I, I mean, what a fun weekend to be a Duke fan. You know, the- there's always this tension when you're involved in the NCAA tournament because you're afraid the next loss is the end of the season and we go into the, the great waiting period over the summer and fall as we wait for basketball to start up again. Um, and, and especially in this case where we think, you know, we're going to lose a number of, of players who are really special. Um, and it got to be a weekend where there really wasn't very much tension at all. Um, I'm sure you guys saw the statistic that Duke led by double figures in 61 out of 80 minutes this weekend. That's that's crazy number. That's just, uh, you know, a huge, huge amount of time that, that we had a really comfortable lead. Um, I really like the fact that when, it, when uh, Utah, uh, I'm sorry, when San Diego State made a little bit of a run today and cut it to seven, uh, we, we stretched it right back out. And the same thing sort of happened with Robert Morris. They made a little run, made, cut it from 20 down to 10. And then we immediately stretched it back out. There, was, uh, there wasn't even a prolonged period of, of, oh, you know, going back and forth and, and seeing whether or not we would hold on to this lead. Um, I, I love the way we're playing defense. Um, and now, San Diego State, no one's going to mistake them for one of the great offensive powers in, in the college basketball game. They're not a very good offensive team, as we, as we witnessed today. But still, uh, the way Duke was blocking shots, the way Duke was getting in the passing lanes and disrupting things, the, just the activity that we had on the defensive end was the kind of thing you just haven't seen from Duke that much this year. And it's so encouraging as we move forward, you know, uh, against opponents that are obviously progressively going to get better and better and better. Um, uh, to see Duke playing defense this way, you start to really think, well, this is a team that that really can and really will contend for the national title. And and I think I had a couple friends say uh, on email to me this afternoon after Duke won the game, they said, Duke's going to go from the team that all the experts were saying was going to be the one seed that wouldn't make the final four. We're now instantly going to go to the team that all the experts are saying is the team that has the best chance to beat Kentucky. And I think that is what they're going to say. And I think that's probably true. Um, you talked a little bit about, about some individual things before I get to any individual thing, um, an incredible statistic. So Duke shot 54 and a half percent in this game. We're 30 of 55, 54%. I want you to appreciate what that means against San Diego state. San Diego state hasn't allowed an opponent to hit half their shots, to hit 50% of their shots in 40 games. In other words, this entire season and, you know, a good third of last season, no one has hit 50% of their shots and Duke hit 54% of their shots. And, you know, to me, as great as Winslow was, and boy, he was fabulous, the story of this game was that Jalil Okafor was able to do whatever he wanted on the interior. Um, he, he got nothing but high-quality, high-percentage shots. And, oh, my God, he even hit two out of two free throws on the game, which <laughs> which is something we haven't seen in a while. So, uh, I, and, and he set the tone early, uh, you know, and Justice, I think, the tone on the on the uh, backboards, uh, you know, making sure we got a lot of rebounds. Um, and, and uh, you know, I don't want to say the game was over at halftime, not by any stretch of the imagination, but boy, it sure didn't feel like we got challenged at all in the second half. All right, Sam, your turn. Yeah. Okay, I um, see. I got a few things. The first was that this weekend kind of felt like, and and you guys tell me if if you think that that I'm onto something here. This weekend kind of felt like 
one of those weekends in November where we have to play two games in, you know, one of those exempt tournaments, but we get to play them on campus. Um, so we might get, you know, good teams. We might get teams that are headed for the tournament, but we're getting them sort of in our environment. And in those games, in, you know, in the last however many years, Duke has just been very solid. And those are, it doesn't feel like those games are ever games we worry about. And obviously the, the NCAA tournament feels differently because if you lose, you go home. Um, but it felt like this team sort of had the poise that they have in Cameron in November, where you know the crowd is with them, and it just feels like they're gonna they're gonna you know roll through those opponents while looking ahead to you know if we have those games one weekend in November, the next weekend is going to be the actual you know final four for those exempt tournaments, and the quality of those final fours is is probably similar to what we see in a regional final weekend. So next weekend. Um, we've got Utah, UCLA, and Gonzaga, um, which is, you know, probably similar to what we would see in, like, in, like, you know, the exempt tournament that we played in Brooklyn this year where we, where we got to see Stanford um, and a couple other teams. I, I think that this mirrors that early season preparation really well, and we always talk about, oh, how come Duke plays all these neutral site events um, early in the season? Well, this is why. It's because, it's because those, those events really mirror sort of what the postseason looks like. Does that... Does that resonate with you guys at all? It, it does with me. I think that's a very apt comparison. And and your comment about the the you know the early neutral well not neutral the early games in Cameron, while while clearly this wasn't Cameron, you know it was a, it was close to home. And I agree about the sort of the way the games felt, the tone of the way the games felt. You were playing a decent team, but you were never very very worried, which was nice. Yeah. So I. I I was, yeah, I was impressed with San Diego State. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Donald. <laughs> no, I was going to say that Coach K. We we've we've heard a lot about how he takes these tournaments, you know, whether they preseason, you know, the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament, and he breaks them down uh, to its, you know, basically core. So, you know, this weekend he treated it as a two-game tournament that we've won, um, and and so it's kind of good that he gets his teams to lock in to those two games, and because. You really can't focus on anything other than the next game in front of you and, and, and things like the NCAA tournament. So it's really easy for him to say, guys, okay, we got a two-day, you know, a three-day tournament, two games. Let's get past these two games. Then we could talk about next week because if we don't get past these two games, there is no next week. So uh, I think that's really what our players were, were talking about all weekend and what coaches have been harping on, you know, this whole season is taking these little mini tournaments and, and the preseason tournaments are – are no exception, and that's what we've been building on up to this point. Yeah, so I I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, um, and and I, I I do appreciate that he that he prepares the team in that way to to handle those those small chunks. Um, looking specifically at the game today against San Diego State, which which I said I, I like the San Diego State team. I like the way that they move on defense. Um, after the game, I watched a little bit of uh, Steve Fisher's press conference, and he looked. It might, it might just be because he's old, but he looked sort of shell-shocked at what had happened to his team. You know, they were asking him questions about, you know, what could you guys have done differently? And he was like, man, that Duke team was really good. Um, you know, you can't – there, there's only so much that you can do to prepare for, you know, seven-foot Charlie Loca for making every every tiny post move and every every nifty move around the basket that he did. Um, so you know, it's a credit to Duke that they played especially Okafor and Winslow sort of up to that potential. We, and we, you guys have, have mentioned Justice Winslow, um, but it, it really felt like he set the tone um, today in the first half, um, making good plays on both sides of the ball, getting that one, the one awesome block. I don't remember who the San Diego State player was, but he had the, the one block um, on the breakaway that led to a, to a uh, Tyus Jones taking the ball back down to our end and, and making an easy basket. Um, Justice really felt like the catalyst today. And then, um, with Okafor, uh, he only he only got to take two free throws today, and I think Jason mentioned it that he, that he hit both of them. He feels a lot more comfortable um, shooting those. It seems like he feels more comfortable shooting free throws now. And we noticed early in the game that he took a couple shots from around the free throw line, and they were jumpers that he sort of just took in in stride. And uh, my friend Mike actually texted me during the game and said, you know, it would make more sense if Jaleel Okafor just took just took his free throws as, as jump shots. Uh, and I thought, yeah, it'd be great if the you know the ref the ref passes him the ball, and as soon as he gets to the ball, he just winds up and shoots. And it and it looks like he's kind of adopted that strategy a little bit to some degree. He's obviously not taking jump shots, but but he's he's trying to make the that that motion a little bit more fluid. 
um, and and it seems like it's paying off for him. And and going into the tournament, I think that a lot of folks pointed out that you know this Duke team is very talented in lots of ways, but one very obvious flaw, um, and one that I think we might get to when we talk about uh, Utah and what their defensive strategy is against Duke, is that you can foul Okafor and he's not going to make those foul shots uh, reliably at the end of games. Um, today it wasn't much of an issue. Duke didn't get to shoot that many free throws at all today. Um, but the fact that he made his two, I think, I think says a lot about, um, you know, where this team's ceiling might be because if that's not an issue, then we've cut out one of the big issues for this team. Um, well, let, let me let me give you two really quick comments related to what you were just saying. Um, yeah. a, a friend of mine pointed out that um, Jalil Okafor was 12 of 16 from the floor and only took two free throws. And this friend said, it's unconscionable that Steve Fisher didn't have San Diego State fouling Jalil Okafor more than that. How can you only have Jalil Okafor take two free throws? Your defensive strategy should be that he takes more like eight or 10 free throws because those are buckets that he has to earn at the free throw line that that he wouldn't that he ordinarily would earn just by putting the ball through the basket for two points and that if he's going to get a good look you should foul him instead um and the other thing i wanted to mention you said steve fisher you know looks shell-shocked the the announcers were talking throughout much of the game about the fact that steve fisher and many of the guys on the san diego state coaching staff are suffering from some kind of flu bug or something like that um, yeah. uh, which led a friend of mine to comment and say, I hope that the entire Duke team uses a gallon of Purell after they go through the line and shake hands with these guys. The last thing we need is anybody catching a cold. Yes, uh, it, it, it's a good point. Um, and uh, I think that with that defensive strategy on Okafor, Jaleel Okafor, I think, today made more individual crafty post moves than we've seen him make in any game so far this season. Obviously, he's He's had games where he scored more points. He had 26 today, and I want to say that his, his high for the season has been like 29 or 30. But it felt like most of the shots that he made today were him getting the ball and then doing something creative, you know, with the ball in his hands, moving his feet, um, and getting himself in a position to take a shot that he's good at. Sort of, the, you know, we, we, we talk about Tim Duncan doing a lot. And uh, so I, I was impressed in, in that way. Let's, uh, let's move on um, quickly. Before we look at next weekend, um, I want to talk quickly about the ACC. The ACC had a really strong first weekend. There was only one loss, and that was, surprisingly, um, the regular season champion uh, Virginia Cavaliers uh, were taken down today in a, in a foul fest by Michigan State. Um, but otherwise, everybody in the ACC has advanced to the second weekend, including an NC State team that took out uh, the one-seeded Villanova in the East region. Um, so, Donald, I'll go to you. What did you... What did you see from the ACC this weekend? What stood out to you? Well, first of all, if you were in a pool with your buddies about which ACC team would be the first one to be eliminated from the tournament and you picked Virginia, you probably would have been laughed at by all of your buddies and you would have won that pool. And it's very uh, interesting. You know, Justin Anderson was a shell of himself uh, and UVA, I think, found out the hard way that in the NCAA tournament, no matter how tenacious your defense may be, you have to score points to win these games. And uh, you can't get away with scoring 54 points uh, against any team in this tournament and thinking you're going to win uh, an NCAA tournament game. So I think that was uh, one of the, the things that I took away from today. Over the weekend, unquestionably, NC State's win over Villanova was the, uh, for, was the biggest win of the entire tournament so far, probably. Um, you know, Villanova being the first one seed to go down and NC State getting to go to the Carrier Dome um, which is a you know a, a familiar ground for ACC uh, uh, teams. They didn't get to play there this year, but they will take on Louisville, who, uh, as we're recording, just won uh, against Northern uh, Northern Iowa. They did play in the Carrier Dome, so the ACC is guaranteed to have at least one team in the Elite Eight because uh, Louisville and NC State play each other. A tremendous weekend. The bet the best conference uh, uh, the best conference performance of the weekend by far. Uh, you know, hey. here's something to add to that. Um, the all-time record for wins by a conference in the first two rounds was by the old Big East. Um, one year when they had, I, th I think they had eight teams in the tournament um, a few years ago, and they and they got 11 wins um, in the first two rounds. The ACC with six teams got 11 wins. The ACC's record of 11 and one um, uh, is is absolutely stunning. 
I agree. I can't believe that Virginia <laughs> was the one team to lose. Um, uh, you know, there was a really, really funny tweet by Brian Phillips of Grantland, who during the Virginia-Michigan State game in the second half tweeted and said, this is just a fascinating tactical chess match between two hobos beating themselves with stolen golf clubs. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, and he's right. It was a fascinating tactical chess match between two teams that that couldn't shoot straight and and just seemed to want to to pound and bang on each other as much as they possibly could. All credit to Tom Izzo, who is an incredible, incredible coach, um, and uh, and and you know took his team once again. Uh, everyone said they were underseeded as as another a number seven seed. Um, he said, "I don't care." And he went ahead and, and beat the two seed Virginia. But um, yeah, the, the ACC is the story of the tournament so far. Um, I, I think the ACC will be favored in in many of the games that they're playing this, uh, you know, coming up this week. I I, I certainly think that Notre Dame's going to be favored over Wichita State. Um, uh, Duke figures to be a, a favorite, probably a, a, a fairly strong favorite over Utah, NC State, or Louisville. That <laughs> whoever's favored in that game will be an ACC team. Um, so, uh, so you know, really, really great for the conference. You know, one thing I wanted to add about NC State, um, Sam. Let me ask you. I, I I didn't think NC State played that great a game when they beat Villanova. Um, uh, we've seen NC State play way, way better than this. When they beat us, they played better than this. When they beat Carolina, they played better than this. Um, now, look, we've seen NC State play a lot worse than that. State is certainly capable of playing horrible. But I, I was I was surprised and Im- impressed that uh, State managed to beat a team, you know, as, as highly regarded as Villanova on a day when I thought they played good, but not great. Yeah, I, I think that we saw a really good game from BJ Anya. Um, I, I think he's... He's often the difference maker for them in that when he's good, it adds such a, a huge dimension to their team because because he's such a good low post defender uh, and he blocks so many shots. But yeah, you're right. I feel like the the guards for NC State, um, you know, the, the three headed monster of Barber, um, Lacey, and Turner. When when NC State is at their best, all three of those guys are uh, passing the ball well and shooting and driving and 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 really making that offense scary. Um, and today, um, or today or yesterday, it felt like they were going in spurts. Um, Barber, I think, had a good game. The other guys, it was like on and off. So, yeah, um, I thought going into the tournament, I, I didn't admittedly watch a lot of Villanova this year, um, but I was like, man, NC State is a scary eight seed. That's that's the kind of team that, that you know, shaky one seeds like a Villanova from a from a weak conference doesn't want to see because, because they have so much potential. And, yeah, they know how to beat a Duke or a, a UNC, like a, you know, a, a top-seeded type team. Um, and we saw, I think you said, we saw good NC State today, but we didn't see we didn't see NC State at their peak. Um, they're absolutely capable of beating Louisville. They already have this year. Um, and it'll, if they get to see Michigan State in an Elite Eight game, that is going to be a, uh, it, it's going to be a slugfest. And I, I really look forward to seeing the way that NC State potentially attacks you know, Michigan State's um, sort of brutal defense that, that we saw today. Um, so, yeah, they, they are as interesting a team as any that's left in the field, and I believe they're the low or they're one of the lowest seeds. They're not the lowest seed. Um, UCLA is an 11, um, but they're one of the lowest seeds that are left, and, and they're really intriguing. I did want to want to point out about State. Um, someone on the, on the board this afternoon, I, I can't remember who it was, um, linked us to a preview that um, Villanova's SB Nation site had put up for the NC State game, the summary of which was basically this NC State team isn't very good and, and we're going to beat them and here are a bunch of numbers to tell you why. Um, and man, it, reading it after the game felt uh, felt embarrassing for those for those Villanova folks. Uh, they seemed to be pretty confident going in that they were that they were going to easily dispatch NC State and that that was certainly not the case. NC State played their game um, against them and 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 came out with a with probably one of the best victories of the weekend that we saw uh, from any team in the tournament, you know, sort of outside the, the big 12 um, collectively uh, losing their minds and, and getting upset all over the place. Um, you, you know, anything else? We, we didn't talk about, we haven't talked about UNC. We haven't talked about Carolina. They, they've got, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I, I thought they had a fairly pedestrian win over Arkansas. Um, I, I think it's a, a huge deal for them that Marcus page, apparently what we're hearing is that he's, He's sort of finally healthy. Um, let's not forget that Marcus Page was a preseason All-American, and there was a darn good reason for that because he's a hell of a player. 
and um, he he took over that game in the second half um, against Arkansas when when Carolina's big men were in massive foul trouble. By the way, the North Carolina Arkansas game, I have never seen fouls called like it was ridiculous. That that th- there were so many fouls called in that game, um, but uh, but uh, Marcus Page took it over. Um, I, I don't think Carolina. I think Carolina's going to have real trouble with 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 Wisconsin. That's hard to say with Wisconsin. Um, I think Carolina's going to have real trouble with Wisconsin, but uh, but they've got to feel great about where they are. I mean, look, we're in the Sweet 16 here, and and I think there are a lot of Carolina fans who probably suspected they wouldn't quite get this far. Um, and then we haven't talked about Notre Dame. What that was just that that overtime game. That was such a great game, and I love that that Pat Connaughton, who who didn't have that fabulous a game, you know, as a senior, um, hit a huge clutch three, had a great huge block shot. Time was winding down the final couple seconds, um, and and you, you guys remember last week I said it. I'm looking forward to Notre Dame Kentucky. I'm looking forward to Notre Dame Kentucky, and and, and we're, we're just there. one game away from it happening. Uh, and and also on Notre Dame, we should we should point out. Um, we found out last night after the game during Mike Bray's press conference that his mother had passed away um, on Saturday morning, and he still went out and coached the game. And and, and Notre Dame played a hell of a game uh, against Butler. So and his players uh, didn't. Know, his players did not know. He didn't tell his players or anybody. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's amazing that he that he was able to keep it together like that. I mean, all the all the credit um, and the sympathy, of course, in the world to Mike Bray. Uh, who, who must have been having an incredibly challenging day yesterday, um, and you know the the, the um, pressure of winning an NCAA tournament game obviously is going to feel very small uh, relative to the to the passing of a you know a parent. Um, and Mike Bray has has dealt with questions I think over the years about his team's ability to 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 go far in the tournament. They've had a number of years where they've been three, four, five seeds and got bounced in the first round. Um, and this year they they were resilient and and outlasted a, a tough Butler team um, in the face of him, you know, having that that personal adversity. So uh, all the credit um, to Mike Bray for for putting on an incredible performance. I mean, you know, if we're not talking about NC State, we're probably we probably should be talking about Mike Bray's um, you know his courage and his and his strength this weekend. Donald, did you have anything to add to that? I agree wholeheartedly with you about Mike Bray. You know, it's going to be. A difficult week for him, you know. He they said he was going to uh, spend some time with his family in Florida. I guess that's where his uh, parents were from, um, and then would rejoin the team in time for them to make the trip to Cleveland for the uh, for the Sweet 16. So I think it's going to be a tough week. It's going to be a, a difficult week for his players as well. There's there's going to be a lot of things out of the norm um, with Mike Bray being you know being caught between uh, having to prepare his team for a, a, a very important game and also. Uh, dealing with, you know, family matters, uh, you know, several states away. So it'll be a difficult week for them, for, for that team, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, how they respond. But, you know, given how they responded, knowing now what we know uh, yesterday, um, I, I, the, man is, the man's incredible to, to even have the courage to put, you know, put all that aside for a couple hours or, for, for, you know, for a few hours to play a basketball game or to coach a basketball game. I think that's just, just remarkable and speaks highly of him. Yeah. Um, so let's let's look ahead then. Um, I think we we did a good job wrapping sort of Duke and the ACC here in in the first weekend of the tournament. Obviously, it was a, a really good all around performance from the conference outside of UVA. Um, so looking ahead next weekend, uh, Duke is in Houston, and we've got a Sweet 16 match against a probably underseeded Utah Utes team uh, that had a very successful season. They ended up ranked eighth, I think, in Ken Palm. Um, Earlier this afternoon, Jason caught up with uh, one of the writers and contributors to Block U, which is the Utah SB Nation site, um, and he got to ask him a few questions looking ahead at Utah. So let's, uh, let's listen to that interview right now. I'm joined now by Shane Roberts of Block U, which is the uh, Utah Utes um, official site on SB Nation. Shane, thanks a lot for uh, for coming and talking to us uh, this afternoon. We got a big we got a big match coming up against you guys, uh, but we're going to treat each other like friends, not the enemies. That sound good? Oh, absolutely. I think the the last time Utah and Duke met was back in the '60s. I think I just saw on Twitter. So um, it's, it's been a while. 
it, it has been a while, but um, I know both fan bases really, really excited about this. Uh, can can I ask? Um, are, do you think you guys are a little bit scared, maybe, of playing Duke, or or was this what you wanted? No, this is what we wanted. Um, I mean, Utah's been off the the college basketball radar for a while, but um, we may not be a blue blood of college basketball, but we're one of the perennial top 10 or top 15 programs in the country and have been one of the best on the West coast for a while. So, I mean, playing North Carolina and uh, Kentucky, Arizona, and all those schools as often as we have, um, I don't think there's any fear in playing Duke. There's just a lot of excitement because in our, in a lot of our lifetimes, we haven't seen Duke and Utah in the same in a matchup like this. Yes, yes. So, so let me ask you. Obviously, you've seen you play a tremendous amount this year. What What are the things that you guys do really, really well? Well, um, defend first and foremost. Utah's a top fifteen defensive team. Um, they really want to grind it out. They want to slow the game down, make it methodical, keep the game in the fifties and sixties. Um, if Utah scores seventy more points, that I want to say they're nineteen and zero this year. Um, so they like to make teams work for it and earn it because, um, it's all headed by DeLon Wright, uh, about a six, 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 seven point guard. That's very long and lengthy. And then it's anchored by Yaka Pirtle, um, the big seven footer in the middle. That's also long and lengthy. So, uh, they want teams to shoot over them. They don't want to give up easy, easy buckets, transition buckets, or easy threes. So, um, they want people to grind it out and they're very good at it. Now, uh, you, you mentioned Pirtle. Um, uh, he, he's just a freshman. Um, the number one key when you talk about defense um, for stopping Duke has got to be uh, the big man in the middle, uh, J- Jaleel Okafor, who, yeah. who had a pretty good day today, um, pretty much owned San Diego State, who's another very good defensive team. How do you think Utah will, will approach the task of, of stopping Big Ja? Well, I mean, that's the million-dollar question going into Thursday. Um, I mean, Utah's got three seven-footers on the roster. Um, they got Pirtle, um, Don Bachinski, who had a very good uh, game yesterday against Georgetown. And then they also have uh, um, Olsen. I'm spacing on his first name right now for some reason. but um, Jeremy, so got- Jeremy Olsen. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So we got three seven-footers and 15 fouls to throw at him. Um, not only that, Utah is kind of a long team. Um, they've got a lot of um, six, seven, six, eight, seven footers on the roster. So they're going to try to pack that paint. Would be my guess, and just make them earn it. Uh, now, talk. Let's let's get to the other side of the ball. Um, uh, I know people talk about Delon Wright as a as a future NBA player. Um, uh, what what are you guys uh, what are you guys doing on offense that's uh, that's scoring points for you? Um, I know Utah's known as a defensive team, but you've you've had pretty good offensive efficiency this year. Yeah, like I said, they want to grind it out and they want to get good shots. So Utah averages about fifty percent from the field and about forty percent from the three point line. Um, they're very patient. They're methodical. They're not scared to wind up the shot clock all the way down. Um, DeLon Wright is very good at probing a, a defense and just kind of filling it out. Uh, but they're also very good at moving the ball. So I mean, Utah's not kind of a not a one-man scoring crew, if you will. They're very score-by-committee. Um, DeLon only averages about 14 or 15 points a game, um, but they get a bunch of com- contributions from other guys on the on the floor, like Pirtle, um, as well as Brandon Taylor, um, Jordan Loveridge. Um, those guys really like to camp out and just knock down threes. Um, if those guys are off, then Utah's really struggling. But um, as evidence, like yesterday against Georgetown, if those guys are hitting, then Utah's very tough to beat. So it's a, it's a motion-based offense. They want to keep teams moving and the ball moving. Not unlike what you see with like San Anto- the San Antonio Spurs, a very similar type of concept. And, and it appears to me just from looking at some box scores and, and stat sheets and things like that, you guys are a pretty deep team. Um, uh, Larry Kerstowiak plays, plays a number of players, huh? Yeah, he, he's kind of shortened up the bench um, in the tournament, which has kind of surprised us a little bit. But he's not scared to go. Um, nine, ten deep. Utah's a very deep roster, and they're very young. I think that's the big thing that kind of concerns Coach K is he's uh, they're a very young team. I mean, there's um, got Pirtle, who's a freshman. There's Isaiah Wright, who um, got action on both the first two games. He's a freshman. 
Um, Kyle Kuzma's a freshman. He hit a big three yesterday. Uh, Burkott Chapman is a player that hasn't played much in the tournament. He's a freshman, but he was a borderline starter for most of the season. Um, yeah, they're not scared to go deep if they have to. Um, Pirtles uh, kind of fought foul trouble most of the year. So Bachinski's always got a lot of minutes. So is uh, Olsen. So, yeah, they'll, they'll go 10 deep if they have to. I'm 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 amused by this. I didn't know that you all refer to Larry Kristowiak as Coach K. Also, yeah, we called it. I can't. Some people kind of call him like the second Coach K or Coach K the second, because a lot of people see his name, um, then and, and they have a hard time kind of saying Kristowiak. <laughs> so Coach K has kind of been adapted on the West Coast as well. I, I like it. I like it. So uh, so we know Coach K is going to be happy um, in our game Friday night. We just don't know which Coach K will be yeah. happy. Yeah, one of them will come away pretty stoked. There you go. Um, so uh, describe for me, if Utah wins this game, what do you think is the situation? What, describe for me how it happens that Utah pulls off uh, the victory Friday night. Well, they control the pace first. Um, they've done very well dictating pace all year long. Um, they can run if they need to, but they, they want to slow things down and grind it out a little bit. Um, but they also need a rebound. Um, when Utah's been beaten either by Arizona or UCLA or Oregon, um, they have a propensity uh, to give up very poor um, offensive rebounds. It, it happened in the first half against uh, – against Georgetown yesterday. Um, they had a whole lot of multiple possession rebounds down the floor to where they would jack up a three and then big guy would rebound it and they would kind of keep this renewance possession. If Utah can control those boards and limit Duke to one and done, Utah puts themselves in a really good chance to win the game. Okay, well, I'm going to con- close with you then by asking the, the operating question, the most important question. Give me your prediction for the game. I know, I know you're a Ute, but give me your prediction. Uh-huh. Well, in my bracket, I actually picked Duke to beat Utah in the Sweet 16. Um, Utah's about a year ahead of schedule, um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that is with the amount of youth on this team and with a lot of the recruits that, uh, that Coach K has been pulling in, they're about a year ahead of schedule, if not more. Um, this is a program that's four years removed from just winning six games. Um, so they've come a long way in a short period of time. Um, if Utah had a little bit more offensive firepower, then I would definitely pick him. But I think Duke right now just has a little bit more than Utah. So, I I mean, I'll pick Duke. Um, if Utah's hitting from deep, um, then I like Utah's chances to keep it close and maybe pull off the upset. Um, but Utah has a, um, has a propensity of going through unfortunate droughts to where they'll go three to five minutes without scoring a point or getting a field goal, and then all of a sudden – you know, they'll find themselves in a 12 to 15 point hole that happened against Arizona. Um, So if they can find a way to keep um, Duke honest as well as hitting the ball from deep, um, I like their chances, but I have to take Duke. Shane, thanks so much for joining us and and giving us this preview. Um, uh, Shane Roberts of Block U, and uh, I'd wish you good luck on Friday, but I I can't wish you too much good luck. Do you understand? Oh, I'm in the exact same boat. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. Um, Thanks to Shane for for joining us, and thanks to Jason for for doing that interview. Uh, We appreciate it on short notice. So um, let's kind of get reactions from that. Now we've got a good idea sort of of who Utah is. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you. What, um, What stood out? from some of the stuff that Shane uh, told us about, about this youth team. Well, I don't think Shane talked enough about um, how efficient they are offensively in terms of their shooting. Um, th- this is, he mentioned that they've got a few guys who like to, to go outside and, and, and take threes and they're very good at taking them. Um, uh, th- this, th- this is an exceptionally good team at shooting from, from long distance. They are fourth in the nation and three-point field goal percentage. They hit more than almost 41% of their threes, which is a really, really high number. Um, and, uh, and and they're sixth in the nation in overall field goal percentage, hitting 48.7% of their field goals. Um, so, you know, they are really, really strong at getting a good shot, especially a shot from the perimeter, 
and and putting it in the bucket. Um, they're obviously also a, a exceptionally good defensive team. That's sort of what they've hung their hat on. You mentioned um, Ken Pomeroy liking them so much. One of the major reasons he likes them so much is because of their D. Um, he has them as the seventh most efficient defensive team in the country. Um, so they're going to be a challenge. They're going to be a major challenge for Duke. Now, what they don't do well is they don't rebound. They they really, especially offensively, they they don't get offensive rebounds, you know, hardly at all. Um, they're three hundredth in the country in offensive rebounds per game, which is which is a really bad number. Um, and uh, and then the other thing they do a lot of is they foul. They foul a tremendous amount. Um, and, and and you heard Shane mention the fact that they've got three big men and they're planning to put fifteen fouls up. On, on Jaleel Okafor. I mean, I don't know if they're actually planning on fouling him 15 times, but their attitude is we got three guys and we're going to send them in there and and we're going to pound on Jalil um, and and make him earn his points at the charity stripe as opposed to earning them in the post. Um, and, and and this has been a lot of Utah's strategy all year. They're, they're one of the... Um, uh, they have one of the highest foul percentages in, in all of college basketball. Um, so I, I think that you know, what you're going to see from them is a very physical game. Uh, it's going to be a game where they try to spread the floor um, and not let Duke's athletes take over too much. Um, and uh, it, it, it's a tough matchup. The, the, Utah was underseeded. People have not seen this team because they play over there on the West Coast and we're not familiar with what goes on three time zones away. But um, Ken Pomeroy thinks that this is an exceptional team. Um, and Ken Pomeroy is a pretty smart guy when it comes to basketball. All the other statistical measures, all the other computer simulations and things like that all say that Utah is a very, very good club. Um, uh, you know, the only thing that I notice about them uh, that, that gives me some real hope that I think Duke has a, a strong chance in this game is that if you look at their schedule, um, whenever, they played, whenever they played really good teams, they pretty much lost. Um, they they did a great job of beating bad teams and and mediocre to okay teams. But you know when they played Arizona, they lost. When they played Kansas, they lost. When they played UCLA, they lost. When they played Oregon, they lost. Um, and, and to me that that's a pretty telling thing when you get this far into the tournament. The only really good, uh, by the way, when they played San Diego State, they lost. Um, San Diego State being the team that Duke just beat down pretty pretty efficiently today. Um, the only really good team they beat was Wichita State. They beat Wichita State in overtime early in the season. But, uh, you know, as I sort of look through the rest of their results, there aren't a ton of wins. There aren't that many wins where you go, wow, that hey, that, that's a team that could still be playing. Um, for the most part, the teams that could still be playing, they lost to when they played them. So I, I, think that's a, I think that's a pretty good sign for Duke coming into this game. Donald, what about you? So one stat that I, I uh, noticed from Shane that was – very telling is that uh, it's, he said something that uh, Utah was 19 and 0 when scoring 70 points or more uh, this season, and all of their losses were were games where they scored some abysmal numbers in, at certain points. You know, there was one I think they that even a win against Oregon State back in February, uh, they won 47 to 37, which is just an atrocious game. Uh, I, I didn't even want to look at the stat line for that, but uh, I think. You know, Utah wants to slow the game down, like like Shane said. They want to slow the game down. They want to drag it out. They don't want a slugfest. They don't want a shootout. Um, they they want to keep it in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, the defense that that we're going to need to throw at them uh, is going to be you know enough to get you know keep them at their their level of comfort in the 60s. But we need to you know be hitting our shots. We need to you know get it to Jaleel. Jaleel needs to make free throws. Our whole team needs to make free throws. Uh, really, but uh, I, I think getting up to 70 points, you know, we don't want to go into a shootout with these guys, uh, but I think they're not going to want to do that. They they want to slow the game down. They want to drag it out. They don't want a lot of possessions. They want a lot of one-and-done possessions from us, so we need to, you know, hit the glass, hit the offensive boards uh, if we miss some shots, and on the other end, you know, do the same thing they want to do to us, you know, limit them to one possession. Uh, and, and getting some good shots on, on offense, I think those are the keys to the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see the way that we defend their perimeter. Um, they have, I think as Shane mentioned, they have, they have a number of guys that are excellent three-point shooters. Um, so in that way, maybe they'll remind us a little bit of Notre Dame, um, who was a great shooting team that we obviously faced uh, three times this year and lost to twice. But one time, um, we managed to, to beat them down pretty badly. 
so I, I wonder if there if there might be similarities in in the way that we attack this Utah uh, offense on on our defensive end, and specifically, you know, they have they have uh, their excellent scorer in Delon Wright, um, who who was a, a big time player for them as a senior this year. Um, be curious to see how we how we contain them, um, you know, because seniors obviously in the tournament play with a little bit different emotion, I think, than the underclassmen do because they they know it's their last time. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 interested to see the, the way that we attack them on the perimeter and and try to limit their shooting because um, I, I think that if if we can limit the shooting, then then their ability um, to beat us at their game, you know, goes down significantly. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. I'm, I'm excited to see this team. I haven't, I haven't gotten to really watch them this year, um, so I, I, I think it'll be a, it'll be a fun game. Although I think that the Duke has, has some of the advantage um, against this Utah team, but definitely looking forward to you it. Know, it, it. So it's, it's going to be ahead. really interesting to see who for Duke picks up Delon Wright because. By the way, DeLon Wright is a future NBA player. He, In fact, most people project that he's going to be one of the top 20 picks in the NBA draft this coming season, um, uh, this, you know, this coming offseason. Uh, a, a heck of a ball player. Um, and he has sort of the size and athleticism that I think him uh, a really difficult matchup for Cook. He's, you know, he's sort of a point guard, shooting guard, um, uh you know, very long and tall. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if Duke tries, you know, does Matt Jones get a shot at him? I think I think it may be Matt Jones um, or, or it'll be Quinn Cook, one of the two of those. And, and uh, if we're able to contain him a bit, um, I, I think that's going to be a, a big problem for, for Utah. Um, there are not a lot of other guys that they have who can create things on their own. Um, you know, as we heard in the preview, they – I think they're mostly counting him to create his shot, but everyone else is sort of creating shots by by moving around and by hoping that they'll be open on their own. Um, so, uh, so I think that matchup is yeah, a tremendously important one for us. So, looking ahead, um, if Duke manages to beat Utah, I think the plan is, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, that we'll do a preview um, for the Elite Eight game after the Utah game. Um, and that would be that is correct. Or UCLA, is that right? Are we are we cool with that? That is correct, sir. We we yeah. will be up all night getting a, getting a podcast ready for broadcast on early Saturday morning, previewing the Sunday Sweet Six. I'm sorry, Sunday Final Eight game. Um, win or lose, if we lose, we'll we'll also be out here talking about you know what happened. Um, but yeah, yeah. If if folks are listening right now, wondering when the next podcast is coming up, it'll become um, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, um, hopefully with a preview of our next opponent. Yeah. We give the so, streets what they um, want. Right. So just, man, baby. Uh, just be, be on the lookout for that um, in the in the event, or sort of no matter what happens, uh, we'll be recording on Friday night. This, this, the Duke-Utah game is going to be is going to be Friday night, I want to say, at, at 9 o'clock Eastern or so. Um, so just uh, just be aware of that. Um, before we wrap up, let's. Uh, I want to check in with you guys. I assume that everybody at least fill that one bracket, whether or not you submitted it uh, into a legal gambling uh, operation is, is entirely up to you and none of my business. Um, but I'll start with Donald. Uh, how's your bracket doing? Okay, so let's talk about the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16, we got okay. five ACC teams. We have three Pac-12 teams. We have two uh, Big Ten teams, two Big 12, one Big East, one Missouri Valley, one SEC, that's Kentucky and one West Coast Conference team. So this week, I'm going to call out the Big 12. We've heard all year from pundits on ESPN, on CBS, about how they're the best conference in basketball, how all their teams are really strong. And and, in the last week, all I've heard is nothing about uh, everything about how they're going to make deep runs in a big dance. Well, I gave them the benefit of the doubt, and they have made my bracket look like trash. In this tournament, they have proven to have height equal to the first incarnation of the Big East, in his final days, seven teams in the tournament. And within four hours, my bracket was done because of the Big East. I have more, more than any other conference. They had more teams in the tournament, and only Oklahoma and West Virginia made it to the Sweet 16. Of course, I picked one of them. Uh, I picked Oklahoma. I did not pick West Virginia. Uh, and I, I'm just – I'm living at the Big 12, the Big 12, all of you, every, con- every team in the conference, all ten of you in the Big 12 which is a, a, is a miscalculation. But 
all of you need to have a seat and think about what you've done because what you have done has made my bracket look like trash and you've made a lot of America's bracket look foolish because we trusted you. No more. You guys are done. But my bracket is cool because my final four is still in it. Um, obviously, Duke is still in it. Kentucky is still in it. Wisconsin uh, just won. And uh, I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. Who am I forgetting um, in my bracket? UVA or I have Villanova? No idea. They both lost. Yeah, they both who, lost. Who you got I, in I, had, I had Louisville. Who I got in the East? I, had, I have Louisville. Louisville, Duke, Kentucky, and, uh, and Wisconsin? Yep, those are my four. So they're still right. intact, and I believe I still have 11 sweets. I, I still have uh, six of my eight Elite Eight teams still active. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But Big 12, shame on you. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you for the, for the rest of the year. Well, All right. well my Matt bracket been laid, Jason. <laughs> my, my bracket was ruined for, for a slightly different reason. Um, I uh, figured that the Pac-12 sucked. Um, I also figured that the Whoops. SEC sucked. Um, so – uh, I, I said, aside from Kentucky and aside from Arizona, I had no Pac-12 and no SEC teams winning any games. Um, and, and, and that didn't work out for me too well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, had, you had Oregon and, and UCLA. I mean, I had, UC, I had UCLA going down to SMU. I had SMU beating Iowa State. I was feeling great about things. And then, bleh. It was all UCLA, and uh, uh, so yeah, the the the, the Pac-12 ruined my bracket by doing really well. And then the other thing that ruined my bracket was the one Final Four team I've lost is Virginia. Um, I, I really thought that Justin Anderson getting another week would would make Virginia back into the team that was 26 and one at one point, and and really looked like they were every bit um, uh, one of the top two or three teams in the country uh, through you know the the late January early, early February. Um, when Justin Anderson went down, and I was wrong. Uh, Justin Anderson never even came close to becoming the player that he was earlier in the season. And and I, I by the way, I feel terrible for Virginia that that their season ended the way it did. I, if I was a Virginia fan, you know, I would just be cursing, cursing the gods that that took Justin Anderson away from us. Um, you know, and then took him away again for the appendectomy just when it looked like he was going to come back and have a little more time to to get back into the swing of things. I mean, I know Virginia fans had to feel like this was their year. They they were an outstanding team all season long until the very end. And then I, they lost three of five, I think, at three of their final five games, something like that. I mean, team yeah, was 26 right. and one, they lost three of their final five. So so that's a Virginia and the Pac-12, for the most part, have, have ruined my bracket. I, I had Utah losing to Stephen F. Austin. So... <laughs> What do I know? Just what you know. I um, I I thought that that I had a good peg on the Big Twelve. I thought you know some of them were okay and some of them weren't. Uh, it turns out I had all the wrong picks in the Big Twelve. Um, the the one Big Twelve team that I decided to to throw some trust in was Baylor. Uh, and and I made the bold claim that Baylor was going to come out of the uh, um of the West region. Uh, that was wrong. Uh, Baylor lost in the first round of Georgia State. And, hey, uh, and by by the right. way, by the way, the best moment of the entire tournament Absolutely. so far is is Absolutely. Coach yeah. Hunter falling off his stool when RJ hits the three to win the game. That was awesome. And then and then you, and then when they did, lost over the weekend, the uh, the embrace that they had Ron Hunter and, and his son RJ, uh, it was it was, you know, that was like that was like the stuff of tournament legend. That you know, that's the kind of stuff that that, that ends up in the highlight reels forever. Is is them winning the one game and. And then bowing out in the next game, but the you know the the emotion on on Coach Ron Hunter was was really splendid. Donald, what were you saying? Did you guys hear Andre? Did you guys hear R.J. Hunter's quote after the first game against uh, Baylor? Uh, no, he was, was they it? were talking about um, they were talking about whether they saw him uh, saw his dad fall out of the off the stool when he hit the three, and he said, "I knew before the game that that stool was going to be a problem. You need to give that man a chair with the back because the stool is not going to work." And I just I just find that hilarious that he 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 basically was like I knew this was going to happen and and but it was it was made for a point of moment and I and I think uh uh Hunter the coach Hunter um after the game said hey this is going to be on one shining moment and and it really was probably the the shining moment of the entire tournament so far yeah, yeah. by the well, way not for me so go ahead really funny um Ron Hunter uh was was talking about um you know how this this is RJ's last time 
together and, and and someone said but but he's he's just a junior and ron said well i'm gonna try and convince him to come back and play again but i think he's going to the nba uh which i thought was was kind of amusing considering he's the the father and he was like i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best i'm gonna talk to him as much as i can and try to convince him to, to play one more season with me but uh but i think he knows his son is is headed off to the nba which is uh you know kind of sad because uh georgia state could be really really great if he came back for one more but oh well yeah um, well, they they ruined my bracket because um, I foolishly decided to to ride with with Rico Gathers and Baylor, uh, and that totally didn't work out for me. I also was riding with Virginia, and they're out. But I did nail that NC State uh, was going to take out Villanova. Um, nice. I, I have faith. I have faith in the Very Wolfpack. Wolfpack. I I put that in my bracket, um, and I got some dap from my. Uh, from from my bracket group that I play with with my high school friends um, for for picking that game, um, so I'm very much still alive because uh, I'm the only one in my bracket group that has my particular national champion, but I won't share who I picked as my national champion, um, you know, for, uh, for for privacy's sake. So so, so um, that anyway, I'm guessing NC State over over Villanova is your best pick. My best pick, I think, probably was I had Wichita State beating Kansas. I mean, that's not even that great a pick. Um, uh, Donald, what, what, what's your best pick so far? Uh, I was going to say that was, that was probably my best pick was Wichita State over Kansas because, I mean, for, for backstory, you know, Kansas and Wichita State, uh, Kansas will not play Wichita State at all. And, you know, Wichita State every year asks to play Kansas, and they know that they have more to gain from playing Kansas than Kansas does by playing Wichita State. Kansas has been ducking them for years, and when the when the seeding came out, I picked that immediately because I knew what was going to happen as far as what happens when the team finally gets to play the team that they've wanted to play all these years. And you could see Wichita State, dom- you know, I, I won't say dominated, but carried the game from start to finish and really, really was up for this game more than Kansas will ever be. So uh, I, that was – they made me look great for, for at least a couple hours. Um, before hey, hey, and, well, well con, you know, continue through my life. <laughs> one of you guys, I forget who it was, wasn't one of you guys that, that mentioned last week that Dayton, after playing their home game, was going to be playing in Columbus, and and lo and behold, Dayton won their first round game, and and you know they gave they gave Oklahoma some trouble as well. So that's a really nice call as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I picked that I as well, that but even, I, I picked Oklahoma to win. Even though this this weekend ended up being pretty chalky. Um, we got a lot of good games and a lot of and a lot of fun uh, tournament, especially on that first day. That first day was wild. Um, so I'm I'm very happy yeah. with, with the quality of the NCAA tournament so far. I think that I think that the best outcome is that we have a lot of close games and that we get a couple upsets, but that once we get to the to the Sweet 16, the good teams are still left. And I think that absent maybe Virginia, um, that's what we got out of out of this weekend. Is that is that next weekend we're going to see most of the really good teams um, still in the tournament. The best part of this weekend has been throughout all the bracket anarchy that has happened so far. And I'm not going to, as I say this, it has not happened to us. We've had probably two of the easiest games that any, any team has had uh, in this tournament other than Kentucky. So with all the mayhem that's around us, we're, we're kind of staying out of it, which I appreciate. Well, well. By the way, Duke's margin of victory is the highest of any team in the in the tournament right now. Our games, in fact, if you saw the Kentucky Cincinnati game, you know that was a I don't want to say it was a nip and tuck game, but that was that was a reasonably tight game for much of that contest. Duke has had the easiest. I don't want to say they've had the easiest in terms of their opponents, but in terms of how the games have gone, Duke's Duke has had the easiest two games so far of any team in the tournament. I think. Let's hope that keeps. I, up. I agree. Um, and and we'll we'll finish here as we always do by picking our players of the week. Um, so now that now that we've come back to Duke, uh, I will start with Jason. Who was your player of the week? Well, as great as I thought Justice Winslow was, I went with uh, Big Ja Jazilla um, Jalil Okafor. Uh, all he did uh, on the week was hit seventy-seven point seven percent of his field goals. Um, you know, all he did was basically set the tone in both games very early on and and establish the fact that he was going to score at will and you were not going to be able to stop him from scoring at will. Um, uh, you know, a really, really great, great uh, weekend for him. He averaged almost a point a minute. Um, he had 21 points against Robert Morris in 21 minutes of playing time. And against San Diego, he had 26 points in 33 minutes of playing time. Um, so, uh, that's good. 
uh, that's really, really good. And um, I think any opponent looking at Duke, Utah certainly looking at the tape of the two games this weekend is going to be like, we have no idea how to stop this guy. And I think the reason you're going to start to see more and more announcers and commentators talking about uh, the eagerly, eagerly anticipated matchup of Duke and Kentucky in the national championship game is because they are all looking, they're going to all look at Duke and say that Kentucky size, that Kentucky length, no one can handle it. But the one thing, the one team that may be able to handle it um, is Duke because Jalil Okafor is, uh, is a beast. He's unlike anything else um, that, uh, that we've seen uh, in, in college basketball this year. And by the way, really quick, he had a really nice weekend defensively, I think. Um, five blocks in the two games. Um, and I thought uh, the game against San Diego State may have been his best defensive game of the year. Donald? With Justice Winslow, um, for some of the uh, uh, reasons that I hinted at earlier when we were discussing you know, the 0-0 uh, stat line, um, he, he, I, I think Justice was the guy that really helped us on both ends of the floor the most uh, this weekend. Um, on both ends of the floor, that you could see him hustling back to, you know, when there was a, what seemed to be a fast break by San Diego State a couple times, he was one that would either knock the pass away or even steal it. Um, or in certain cases, he would let them, you know, go all the way to the basket and then block the, block the heck out of them. Um, you know, he's, he really was locked in on this game. And, and, you know, I think I'm sure he was probably the person that was easiest for the weekend to get away from him, knowing what was at stake. A, ret- a return home to his hometown of Houston. Um, but he was really locked in, especially today against San Diego State. He was the man. And, and as much as Jai was the man, I think Justice was equally, if not more, the man. And he is my player of the week. Yeah, I, uh, I also went with Winslow this week. Uh, averaged over, over 10 rebounds a game for the weekend. All right, he had over 10 rebounds in, in both games. Uh, had a double-double today against San Diego State in which he was really filling up the stat sheet. And uh, I, I like that you pointed out, and I, and I wanted to echo that this was a, a weekend where Justice Winslow could have could have had, you know, issues knowing that if we won, we'd be going back to his hometown of Houston. And and he, he locked down and really, especially in that first half against San Diego State, uh, set the tone on both ends of the floor um, for, for that to be a, a sort of cruiser of a win against a, a really good opponent. Um, so I, I, I also went with Winslow. However, we should we should give the special shout, and I think one of you already did, um, to Marshall Plumley for his double double against Robert Morris. Um, you know, he he didn't need to play as much today against uh, against San Diego State, and and the limited minutes that he had uh, were not great. Um, he was one assist away from uh, recording a seven trillion for this afternoon, um, but uh, but yeah, he did have the double double against Robert Morris. Uh, we we didn't see a whole lot of Tyus Jones this weekend. Uh, curious to see if we if we see him show up again in in some of the higher profile matchups that that we're hoping to see uh, in Houston next week. But uh, good fix, definitely. I, it was for me. It was really between Winslow and Okafor. I feel like that's probably the way that that most Duke fans feel this weekend is that they they were really the the catalyst for these victories um, to be as frankly easy as they were. Um, so, all right. I think we've uh, I think we've covered everything. Uh, hey, hey uh, l- 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 let oh. me. I, I want to chime in about a couple other things, just really, really quickly. Um, sure. I, I'm. You mentioned Justice going back to Houston, um, and and we've seen the past couple games how much he's the engine that that um, you know that drives uh, Duke playing really, really at the next level. Uh, I think when Justice plays really well, that's when we are at our best. Um, and, and for some reason, there are other guys who, if they're, if they're a little up and down, it doesn't seem to affect our play quite as much as it does as when he's up and down. I think it's because there are some things that he does athletically that just no one else on the floor um, is able to do. But I'm, I'm concerned about him going back to Houston. You know he's going to be inundated with ticket requests from 40 and 50 and 100 of his closest friends. Um, uh, everyone's going to be, you know, in his ear wanting to, to talk to him and, and, you know, talk to him about, you know, the future millions he's going to be making in the NBA and, and wanting to get close to their old buddy and stuff like that. I, I really hope he's able to, to keep all that under control. I hope Duke's able to minimize the distractions for him and he's able to continue to play the way he's been playing. Um, cause it's a, it's a really, really big deal for him to, um, for him to play well, cause that's, 
you know, that's that's the key for Duke. And then the other thing I wanted to mention um, uh, in the postseason, I'm counting both the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. Now um, we're we're yet to see Tyus Jones have um, have have a, a better than usual game for him. Um, he's uh, he's had decent games, okay games, but his scoring has been significantly off. Um, his shot has really been off. He, he he's uh, he, he's just not um, putting the ball in the bucket the way he was uh, really throughout the the entire month of February. Um, and uh, that's one of the big things I think I'm going to be looking for um, next weekend. Uh, you know, if if Duke's going to go to the Final Four, I, I, I think we're going to have to be sitting here talking about. Um, uh, Tyus stepping up from where he's been the past couple weeks because his ACC tournament and NCAA tournament performances thus far um, uh, have, have left a little bit to be desired. Did you have anything else to add to, to what Jason was just saying or anything else? No, he's, he, he hit the nail on the head. You know, it's, uh, especially for Winslow next week, you know, I don't know how tall NRG Stadium is, uh, what used to be called Reliant. I still call it Reliant. Um, but they may want to open up the roof for the first like five minutes of the game because he's going to want to jump through, you know, over, you know, out of the, out of the gym, literally um, in his hometown and really show off it. But I think, you know, if, if any team is going to be the ones to pull him in and make sure that he's focused and that all outside distractions are, are, uh, are to a minimal, uh, I think it's this team, you know, the, these guys have really got each other's back. They're, they're really, you know, in tune with each other and, and know, um, know how big this is for him and, and just as it is for everybody on the team. So I, I'm not too worried about his performance. You know, it's just I, I think he's going to have some of those hometown jitters for the first five minutes of the Sweet 16. But can he calm down and push through that and get down to business? Um, that's what we're going to see. And, and Tyus, and, and just like Jason said, uh, needs to step up, um, you know, point break. He's he's hasn't had the best uh, last couple of weeks, and uh, we're, we're really going to need him against Utah. So I, I think – uh, I think he can do better, and I think he will. Um, yeah, Jason. Jason made the point about um, about Justice Winslow going home and how it might be a kind of distraction for him. It reminded me, and I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, over the summer, I shared a story with the with the other DVR moderators about running into um, former UConn coach Jim Calhoun at the airport in Denver. Do you guys remember me telling you about this? Um, Vaguely, yeah. one of the uh, one of the one. Of, I, I talked to him for for like ten minutes. Um, yeah, I like I recognized him. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Jim Calhoun. Um, and and I talked about all kinds of different things, NCAA and 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 certain games and players and stuff. But one of the most interesting things that he shared with me was that when they would get their their bracket selection, he always hoped that they would be getting sent out west um, because he wanted to minimize all that stuff that Jason was just talking about, the ticket request and the you know the friends and family and all that stuff. Uh, and and we on the on the DVR, I feel like a lot of the times the discussion goes to. You know, I hope that Duke gets to stay in Charlotte or Greensboro or wherever the first round is, and then that you know that we get to go to the regional in, in Washington or New York or, or or somewhere nearby that has a lot of friends and and, and is close to home. Um, so, but there is that other side of the coin where where you know the, those distractions do sometimes play a part. And and yeah, like I, like you guys said, I hope that I hope that Winslow is able to compartmentalize that, and I hope the staff is is on top of it, which I imagine they are. Um, if these are issues that we are thinking about, you have to figure that that the the Coach K machine is all over it. Um, but it's something that we will look forward to seeing. Um, so I think with that we can wrap. Um, like we mentioned, we will be back uh, late Friday to record an extra episode, regardless of the outcome of the game, um, uh, on Friday night. We are hoping that. Duke will uh, prevail against Utah and that we'll get to be previewing a UCLA Oregon Zaga game, but that remains to be seen. So uh, for this week, uh, for Donald Wine, for Jason Evans, I am Sam Klein. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll talk to you again soon, and let's have the marching band take us out.